0: We all have questions. Questions about faith and relationships, beliefs and politics and social issues in our planet and God. Where do you go when you're done with cliches and starving for the conversation to ascend? What do you do when you're struggling to find connection within your community, within your church? So join us, Lauren, Danielle, and Jason, To connect, discuss relevant topics, and try to navigate living in the tension of everyday life as Jesus followers. We call this podcast, The Outsiders. Hello everyone and welcome to The Outsiders Podcast. And dude, this is 2021. Let's go. I'm super excited. This is our first episode of the year.
1: Guys, I'm super pumped to... uh begin Are uh, you
0: though? I feel like you're not. <laughs> okay, now okay, now your face is lighting up a little bit more. Okay, good.
1: <laughs> uh, Jason. <laughs> no, but seriously, I'm so pumped to just begin the second half of our first season. Mm-hmm. Um we took about a month, maybe a little bit more off to just breathe and kind of assess how we can continue this podcast and improve in what we're doing and and moving it forward. So um it's good to be back with my co-host it's good to be back on air and speaking of moving forward we've actually added another person to our team which selfishly I'm super excited (laughs) about um, because it's one less thing that I have to do and I haven't met him yet but one day I will
0: and he seems pretty awesome you were in the same
2: room as him at my wedding though
0: Oh, but that's slightly you probably creepy, but didn't no. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah.
2: I had no reason to introduce you at the time. But yeah, we are super excited. We've added a social media manager to our team. It is my dear friend Tim. Um, he is a graphic designer based out of back home in Canada. So that just makes my heart feel warm that we have another Canadian as part of our team. Um, And we're, like, international. I I I feel like that's pretty cool. We're international. pretty great. (laughs) Um, But he is uh, taking over our social media for us, kind of expanding our reach a little bit, too, to another community. So we are super excited to officially uh, welcome him to the team. And whatever you guys see on our Instagram, you can thank Tim for.
0: Yep. Give him mad love. So I'm assuming you know all of our voices. But in case you don't, my name is Jason and I'm a pastor here in Southwest Ohio, but I'm joined as always by my amazing co hosts who are super compassionate and caring, uh, my co hosts, Lauren and Danielle.
1: I love that alliteration.
0: I mean, it's what I do. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the person who just said that, her name is Lauren, in case you didn't know. So, Lauren, how are you?
1: I am doing well. I'm here. <laughs> It's January. It's January. A lot has happened in our world since we've so true. put out a podcast. Yeah. Can't go through it all, but you can just imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited for the new year and to be in the same room. I I don't know if you guys know, like it's been a while since we've been in the studio. So it's good to actually uh see, see humans. See humans
2: not <laughs> yeah. on Zoom cuz our, have- our Zoom studio wasn't great right no more technical difficulties
0: <laughs> yes and, and as danielle is saying that she's looking right at me which um but wow. the one who's like a magician at all of those things alan put forth like crazy amount of hours to try and produce a, a somewhat decent uh product so we thank alan for that uh so okay so danielle yeah you're doing well
2: Yeah, I'm good. I'm here. New year, new semester, new work schedule, new puppy, new everything. How's that working out? You know, better (laughs) than I expected. I'm. I mean, I haven't killed him yet, so So that's a a win. No, he's actually super cute. He's settling in good. Him and the cat are actually friends now other than when he's biting her head, but it's out of love, I tell myself. So we're good, we're good, we're here and I am excited to be in the same room as humans.
0: (laughs) Yes, Uh, absolutely. So to begin and introduce our topic today, I wanna tell you just a quick story. Um, And it's about a girl named Jackie. I met Jackie in 2006, about 15 years ago. When I met her, she was a high school senior. She was in my seventh period dating and relationships, marriage and family class. Jackie, I hope you're listening and you will remember these things. Um, and what was interesting is early in this class, you know, first semester, couple of weeks in, before we start talking about dating and relationships and all of that, we, I wanted to focus on before you're able to date and get to know someone else, you first have to really learn and know yourself well. And so as we were walking through this, within the first couple of weeks of the class, Jackie raised her hand. I remember exactly where she sat and she sat actually in the front. And she asked, does this information apply to me because I'm different? And honestly, I was new. She, I, I didn't really know what she meant. But based on the looks of, of all the other students, because y'all know what high school seniors are like, you know, I can kind of put two and two together. And then she went on and she, said, she clarified by saying, I'm lesbian. And, I, and then she said something that I honestly has echoed in my heart for, for years. And she said, I know I don't belong. And from that moment with Jackie, right, as a senior, like I supported her, I treated her equally. Um, but it always sort of bothered me. And I can't really put into words why, but it, it just always bothered me. And for years, and it, it sounds creepy, but I, I would just lay in bed at night sometimes thinking about Jackie and all the things that I didn't do for her. Like I didn't mistreat her but still, there was like something missing, right? It really bothered me. And so basically, 10 years later, now uh, I'm not even in California. That was back in California. Now I'm in Ohio. And uh, I'm doing a Vespers. There are about 70 high school kids in the room. And I call Jackie on my phone. I put it on speakerphone, put the microphone next to the speaker. And in front of a room of, full of high school students, I apologize to Jackie. And, and, you know, and everyone could hear the conversation. And I said, listen, I don't even know if you remember me. And she's like, oh no, I definitely remember. I don't even remember if you remember the class, the situation. She's like, nope, absolutely. And, but I just, I, I just apologized. Like, I'm so sorry. I don't think I mistreated you, but I definitely didn't champion you. I didn't go before you, not just supporting you, but Encouraging you and and lifting you up and, and moving forward and walking forward with you, um, on this on, on this journey and um, you know she starts crying and I start crying and everyone starts crying, um, but basically, like that's the thing for me and that is so today's discussion, is this idea of the LGBTQIA+ community, and that is what we're going to be talking about today in this Outsiders podcast and as we move forward. Honestly, on behalf of any Christian pastor or teacher or leader, specifically when it comes to the LGBTQIA plus community, I just want to say I am so sorry. Okay, I just want a pregnant pause there. I'm sorry, like for real. I truly believe for 2,000-ish years in the name of defending Jesus, we've done countless acts of offending Jesus. And countless Christians have misrepresented Jesus, ultimately leading to what I would, what I label abuse. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for valuing positions over people. And I'm sorry for being ignorant at times. I'm I'm sorry for how people in the LGBTQIA+ community have been looked at, or talked about, or judged, or mistreated, and is and, and treated as if you're broken and needing fixing. And I would argue and say that it's not biblical, it's not right, and it's definitely not Christian. And so I'm sorry. You are not broken. You are beautifully and wonderfully made.
1: Who? That was—thank you, Jason, for, for saying that. Um, I also want to say to um, the LGBTQIA plus community who— Have been our classmates, um, Mm. our colleagues, and our friends. That I'm sorry for not taking steps to better understand your experiences being part of this community. And um, just, I'm sorry that we haven't embraced you more in our church community um, and that we haven't done the work uh, in being part of the solution and, and the way forward and more of, of the problem. Um, I think it's really important to acknowledge, you know, our place, the, the three of us being heterosexual. There's a lot that we don't understand. Um, but to be able to speak these things into existence, I think is really important.
2: Yeah, I think in general, um, the Christian church has definitely contributed to creating a very unreceptive and even hostile environment for this community. And in preparing for this episode, I was trying to do a lot of research because like Lauren said, um, none of the three of us represent this community. And so we really wanted to put in the effort to make sure that we were educated as much as possible so that we could actually speak about this and, and do it justice. And I found this study that was done in 2017 and it included uh, 310 participants that were between the ages of 18 and 35 who all identify as part of the LGBTQIA plus community. And these participants filled out a survey that asked them about the attitudes and behaviors that lead to this hostile and unreceptive environment when coming out to their family members or friends or their church community. And here are some of the attitudes and behaviors um, that these people that these participants in the study reported um, being met with by their their parents and their church and faith communities when they came out, um, feeling like their parents struggled to accept their identity, believing that their parents' religious beliefs made it difficult for them to accept their own sexual identity, fear of being seen as disgusting or dirty or sinful, uh, religious beliefs that triggered feelings of guilt and shame. Fear of disappointing their parents, not being assured of their parents' love after coming out, parents responding as if their child's sexual identity was a poor reflection on them, like on the parent, uh, finding that parents were not open to trying to understand or be supportive Uh, lack of attentive listening in those situations, even being told that they're forbidden to tell others in their community about their sexual identity, I'm sure for fear of how it would reflect on the family. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important to note that in the study, only 12% of the participants said that they received any spiritual support from their pastors, and only 9% said that they found support from their church community. Um, And so regardless of, of what people feel about this community and this topic and this issue, these are statistics, you know, these are the, the real experiences of people. And what really sat with me after reading this study was that none of these points were about wanting or even expecting their parents or church community to 100% agree with them. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to be affirmed that they were loved and to be listened to and to see that their community was willing to even just try to understand and support them in any kind of way and to be told that they're not dirty or sinful, but still worthy of love. And I think that if this is the environment that the majority of Christian communities are creating for this significant group of people, that's something worth acknowledging and apologizing for, definitely. 100%.
1: Just hearing those points, it just breaks my heart and it makes me so sad because what I get from this research study is that LGBTQIA plus people just at a minimum want to be seen and to matter. Um, This reminds me of a book I read called Embracing Love by Nathan Albert, who is a former musical theater professional who turned to uh, be a pastor. And in his book, he talks about attending a gay pride parade in Chicago as a pastor with some friends, and they all held up signs apologizing for how Christians behaved towards the LGBTQIA plus community. And he was actually photographed hugging uh, this uh, participant, uh, a, a man that was just in his underwear at the parade. And it it made a bunch of best lists. You probably yeah, can I've seen picture, it. yeah, it's, it's Yeah, it's what, good. what I'm describing, and it like because of this, then it made him become an even bigger advocate for the LGBTQI community in Chicago. Um, but in this book, he dedicates an entire chapter, and I highly recommend reading it. It's it's a pretty easy read, um, and there's also a good chunk of of the book actually um, talks about the six, uh, text in the Bible and, and, um, brings the, the point for those who are more conservative and those that are more progressive and then kind of finding like, what does it actually say? So it was really helpful in like having a better understanding of the arguments on both sides and all that sort of stuff. But there's another chapter that he dedicates to this incorrect gospel model that I think a lot of Christian communities have adapted of behave, believe, and belong. Right. Where we're told, and I think especially for those Christians who identify as LGBTQIA+, um, that if we or you or they, right, get your act together— and then you believe in Jesus, then you can belong to the Christian community. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that this is correct at all. Um, But Nathan goes in his book, he goes on to explain that the gospel model is actually belong, believe, and become. And to me, this makes much more sense because of God's grace that he's extended to us all, literally to every single person alive and Based on that, first we belong to him, um, which then leads us hopefully into believing in him and then becoming his disciples. So to exclude LGBTQI plus people from our communities, not just our faith communities, but our communities in general, I don't believe that that's the gospel or the way that Jesus would want us to treat anyone.
2: Yeah, and I think that, something that ha- happens a lot in Christian communities is that a lot of us just have the luxury or dare I say privilege of not having to dive too deep into researching and understanding the experiences of the LGBTQIA community, mm-hmm. because we were probably largely taught that it was a black and white issue. You know, straight, cisgender is right. Anything else is wrong. And that's the end of the conversation. Um, and I'm sure that, many of us have even still subscribed to this while having friends, coworkers, classmates, colleagues, whatever, that are part of this community. Um, And it was just, you know, you keep it on the inside, it doesn't hurt anyone, and it was just something that we didn't have to necessarily delve into. And I think that we do need to be better at trying to love those around us by understanding them and listening to them and welcoming them and actively trying to, you know, understand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I would even argue and say not just accept and welcome, but affirm and champion, even you know, especially because I'm a Jesus follower. Like, mm-hmm. if you are a Jesus follower, then I think we are called to to affirm and support in this in this way.
1: Absolutely, the I think the Christian community needs to learn how to be in relationship with LGBTQI plus individuals before we talk at them. Um, about and our to beliefs. Be,
0: sorry, I don't want to cut you off. But no. to be clear, I think this is a human problem, period. Yeah. Not just with this topic, but with many topics. Yeah. We right. There's a difference between arguing and having a conversation of different opinions. And I think we just need to be better at all of it. But yes.
1: A hundred percent. And I think one way to do that, or a couple ways to do that, A, is to learn their culture, B, learn their language and what they might find offensive. And these are just... Simple ways to respect people. Like, again, this can be applied in so many right. different ways. Just like a human thing. Uh, yeah, a human thing. And it's like, how can I learn more and and put myself in in their shoes, um, learning the things that don't offend them, the correct language and all that sort of stuff. So I wanted to break down what the entire acronym of LGBTQI plus stands for Again, I think this goes down to respect and sometimes we don't think about what all of this means, but the more information, the more resources that you have, I think is just a really great way to move forward in understanding how um, people who identify as LGBTQIA+, how they belong to this community and, and what that all means. So the L stands for lesbian, who's a woman who is sexually or romantically attracted to other women. Um the G stands for gay, which is sexual or romantic attraction to people of one same sex. This is often used to refer to men only. The B stands for bisexual, which is sexual or romantic attraction to people of one same sex or gender identity and of the opposite sex or gender identity. The T stands for transgender a person whose gender identity differs from the sex that was identified at birth, which is usually the opposite. The Q stands for queer or questioning um, those who fall outside of the heterosexual cisgender norm and those questioning their gender identity, gender expression, and sexual identity or orientation. The I stands for intersex, uh, which is a person born with reproductive or sexual anatomy that does not fit um, in the male or female category. And the A stands for asexual, which is a lack of sexual feelings towards another person. Um, some um, people include ally as the letter A um, in the acronym. And the plus is everything else. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many different resources out there. And, you know, as we continue, I say we, society continues to uncover and learn. Um, there's just more letters and, and descriptions that are added. So that's kind of what, what that entire acronym stands for. So, um, some of the acronym can kind of be divided into two sections. One is gender identity and the other is sexual identity or orientation. Um, and a couple things I, I wanted to note things that I've come to understand and Uh, conversations with people, books I've read, podcasts, all that sort of stuff um, about gender identity specifically. So when you hear people talk about cisgender, that's referring to those whose gender identity and their identity at birth are the same. So if someone identifies as transgender, their gender identity and their identity at birth can differ. Um, So Lauren, myself, I identify as a cisgender woman. And something else also to be made aware of. Um, and you may have seen this. It's kind of becoming a more prominent thing in people's social media media profiles and, and that sort of stuff um, is preferred pronouns. So I prefer my pronouns, she, her. And um, I, I just think because we're living in such a more diverse and just technically technology like advanced and all that sort of stuff like we should never assume anything about someone's sexual orientation or their gender identity just like it can be offensive to ask a person like what are you in regards to their racial identity um you could ask them more kindly like hey what do you identify as Um, and the same i think can be brought into this context obviously when it's appropriate um, you can ask someone what pronouns they prefer. And this is a really helpful and intentional way. Again, Danielle, you had mentioned, you know, those of us who are heterosexual and cisgender, we get to walk through the world in a very different way. And so for people who belong to the LGBTQI plus community, like they're already, identified in a minority community and so for those of us who don't identify the same way it can be very helpful to be embracing uh, not only their community but the way that they identify um, especially when it comes to pronouns and that sort of stuff because I can walk down the street and I don't have to identify what that is but someone like my sexual orientation or my gender identity Um, and so especially with those who identify as transgender, um, it's important for us that identify in the opposite way to not keep them isolated because of the way that they identify. So those are just some helpful intentional ways, I think, that we can respect those who belong to the LGBTQIA plus community.
2: So moving into kind of maybe the meat of what some people are are hoping for from this, Um, we want to go to the Bible and see what it says, right? Um, I think in the majority of Christian faith tribes, there are quote-unquote clear stances on homosexuality and the LGBTQIA plus community. And I think that we really just do want to unpack what the Bible really says about homosexuality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, so to be clear... This podcast is only going to be so long. Mm-hmm. So we're only going to scratch the surface of a very deep and complex situation. And so just so everyone knows, we're definitely not even going to you know, cover this you know, fully. Not even, you know, but we are going to cover, I believe, enough. And I also want to recognize that I'm sure that there are people listening like right now who will hardcore disagree. And I welcome that. I think that's, that's great. Uh, let's have a conversation. I absolutely love having conversations. And so I am perfect. I mean, I think half the planet has my number. If you don't have my number, I will give it to you.
1: DM us, we'll give it to you.
0: Yes, right, right, right. And, um, and let's, have a, let's have a conversation, right? Not to get defensive or argumentative, but just to learn from each other and have, yeah, just, just study this stuff. So just want to say we're only scratching the surface, but real quick to kind of answer your question. Yeah, so what do the scriptures, right, like actually say about homosexuality? And I think one thing that's interesting is this word, right? Homosexuality, it's basically been around for about 150 years. Uh, Not just recognize that, right? It was in the late 19th century. I think it was 1873, but I don't actually remember that. But I think it's something like that. But basically in the late late 19th century, an Austrian-born Hungarian psychologist invented this word as an illness or, or disorder. And it was kind of framed as such. Um, And then, you know, approximately 100 years later, the American Psychiatric Association voted that it is actually not a mental disorder. Okay, 1973, that was not that long ago. No. And then in 1987, right, within most of our lifetimes, uh, right, it was completely out of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So let's let's be clear. We are attaching a 150-year-old word-ish – to ancient texts that are thousands of years old, which means, okay, we need to, there's there's a gap and we need to bridge it, right? 100% because I believe the scriptures are authoritative, so let's look and see what the scriptures actually say. One thing I think is interesting is how this word homosexual, okay, so someone might be thinking, okay, well, the Bible's been around since, you know, uh, 19, you know, or 1873. Sure, so how was it translated? And In case you're wondering, in 1557, the word that we now have in scriptures as homosexual, in 1557, it was bugger. Yeah, that's great. I have no idea what a bugger is. <laughs> it sounds gross and slimy and something children play like with, but, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> so that's how it was translated. I don't even, I'm not even sure what that is. In 1582, okay, so, you know, about 30 years later, uh, they changed it to an action, uh, Liar's with mankind, right? Someone who, like, lays with man. Oh, okay. Uh, a couple hundred years later, in 1735, it was sodomite. Again, another action. 1885, abusers of themselves with mankind. Like, that's what your Bible said in 1885, an abuser of themselves with mankind. In 1890, they changed it and they said, no, those who abuse themselves with men. Okay, so now it's, it's, you know, a specific gender. Okay, and then in 1962, let's just contemplate that they changed it to pervert. Okay, a little bit more encompassing, right? It's not necessarily one gender or the other, and it's not necessarily an action. It's, it's a person. Then in 1966, they changed that to not just any pervert, a sexual pervert in 1966. Also in 1966, they changed it to, or it transitioned from sexual pervert to sodomite. And then in 1978, almost in my lifetime, not quite, but almost, is when the Bible started to put in the word those who practice homosexuality. So it's a fairly recent thing, which I think is actually really interesting. So without boring you with all a whole bunch of like Hebrew and Greek information, but again, if you want to know more, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. In short, in the original, like what does it actually say? And, and uh, Lauren, you were talking about this book that you were reading. And yeah, absolutely. Your entire Bible essentially has six, some would argue seven, I could see that, but six to seven verses that talk about homosexuality. Uh, Three in the First Testament or Old Testament and three in the Second Testament or New Testament. what I find interesting, and I'll just tell you, right, go study this stuff, read it on your own. Uh, The three places are Genesis 19, Leviticus 18, and Leviticus 20. What's interesting, though, is in the context of all three of these, is what is it actually talking about? And I would argue, when you look at the context, it has nothing to do with sexual orientation. It just doesn't. That's, you know, that's something that we are applying to a 19th century term. But in that context, those words, in, the, in that culture, it specifically is dealing with idol worship, specifically worshiping a god of fertility, which is super... Pornographic and X-rated and R-rated as to how they worshipped uh, these gods of fertility, but that is the context: is idol worship, domination, humiliation, and dehumanization. Uh, essentially, the first testament, Genesis, uh, the Old Testament, Genesis, Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. The context is dehumanizing. Yeah, I'm 100% against dehumanizing, uh, and and idol worship. Specifically, idol worship that involves any sort of, or not, idol worship, period, but any sort of worship that involves anything sexual, specifically with children and child sacrifice, which often was, you know, in relation with these things. So, yeah, we could go through the text, but again, you know, the the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. In fact, some people are like, whoa, but isn't that the sin, right? That's, what they, that's why they were being judged. Okay, but again, let the scriptures explain the scriptures. Ezekiel 16 specifically says, and I quote Ezekiel 16, uh, 49, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. Dehumanizing, not being there for people. That was the issue. Um, Leviticus, again, it's idol worship, a dominance, and, and dehumanizing people. And, and, and yeah, I'm against all of that. So I agree with all three of those passages. Then you want to jump real quick to the Second Testament or the New Testament. Romans 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy 1, 8. Again, similar, but I would argue that all of the context of all of these passages, it's either abuse— specifically sexual abuse, but I'm against all forms of abuse, but it's definitely abuse, and pedophilia. Yeah, I'm against pedophilia. And if you look at each of these passages, like specifically Romans 1 talks about exchanging, well, you know, your your natural tendencies for an unnatural tendency. Well, in order to exchange something, you have to first have it, right? And so again, the context of Romans is you would have heterosexual men, usually wealthy, that for fun and pleasure would engage in sexual activities with boys, like prepubescent boys. Yeah, that's bad. I'm totally against that. I agree, mm-hmm. Paul. Um, and, and, so, and that's the thing, right? So people who are identified in the LGBTQIA plus community, they, you, know, you, you can't exchange something that you don't have, right? That, that'd be like for me to exchange Uh, you know, my heterosexuality for homosexuality or something. Like, like, you can't exchange something you don't have. So that would be that thing, or, you know, the context of that one. And then in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy, um, again, the word in the original language, it's all about, and again, it's gross, but this is why Paul was so hardcore against it. And I agree. Thank you, Paul, for championing this. Stop having sex with boys for pleasure. Like, that's bad. That's abuse. That's dehumanizing. And so, in, that, in essence, I would say, yeah, the scriptures definitely talk about sexual abuse. And But this word that we attach to it, homosexuality, I think a lot of times we honestly were just misunderstanding. And I think it's important that we do understand it. And oftentimes, at, you know, parades and stuff, you'll have well-meaning Christians carrying... Uh, You know, signs and stuff that says, you know, God hates fags or whatever. And you're just like, well, okay. Again, if we are claiming that the Bible is authoritative, what does the Bible actually say? And your Bible says in Proverbs 6, there's actually a list. You want to know what God hates? There's a list in the scriptures. And it says, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven, that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Again, right? Abuse not being there for each other, a heart that devises wicked schemes, for sure, Uh, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies. Okay, yeah, a liar, someone's not telling the truth. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community, Mm. period. Um, If God really hated all of this, I feel like it would be in this list, but it's not. In fact, it's almost saying if you are stirring up, if you are bringing conflict within a community... That is what God hates. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, right, we should take a second look at the scriptures, what they say in their context, and to try to understand them.
2: Whew. I feel like you need to take a big, deep breath. That was like all <laughs> in one breath.
0: I get, I get super <laughs> fired up about this stuff. So. Sorry. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> no. don't, don't apologize. <laughs> Thank you for going through that. And I think um, Jason did say at the beginning that everyone should be encouraged to kind of go through these passages that people tend to quote about homosexuality and really try to do your own study and your own understanding. Mm -hmm. It's great to have someone like Jason to help guide us through it, but I think it's really important for us to do that on our own, um, to come to our own understanding and interpretation, not just being told, here's what you should think and how you should interpret it. And I think that as we consider um, how we read the Bible and how we go through these texts, we think about the why behind it? Are we looking for proof texts to show why it's wrong? Mm -hmm. Because I think that in a lot of cases when we go to these texts, that's the purpose for it. Or are we seeking to gain a deeper and biblically accurate understanding? You know, are we seeking to understand how all people, including the people in the LGBTQIA community were made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we're just going and looking at these verses to prove Jason wrong or to prove people in this community wrong, then I don't think that we are open to letting the spirit lead us in understanding, you know, and coming to our own understanding led by Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was researching for this episode, I watched a really good interview it was between Justin Koo, who is a Christian vlogger, he has tons of videos about everything, and Bridget Eileen Rivera, who identifies as a queer, lesbian, and celibate woman, who is also a very active Christian. Um, she's just finished writing her first book. I don't think it's been published yet, but it's all about um, the way the Christian community has harmed the LGBTQIA community. And her work focuses on speaking about faith um, and sexuality and justice. And in this interview I watched, she said something that really stuck with me. She said, as long as your salvation is hanging in the balance, it's impossible to come to a healthy sexual ethic that is a result of your honest pursuit of Jesus Christ, because you'll always be trying to please other people and earn your salvation. And to me, what this says is that the harm in prejudging and reacting so harshly to people in this community is not something as simple as, well. I disagree with your quote-unquote lifestyle, um, especially for those in the Christian community. The way we receive and behave towards them carries much more weight and, and more consequences than I think any of us will ever truly understand. So I think for that reason, it's really important that we do take the time to do our own studying and, and searching and understanding.
0: Yep, absolutely. So with all of this, right? The ultimate question, so now what, right? How do we actually take these things and apply it and study it out and that sort of thing? Um, and, right, so if you identify with this community, I, I, honestly, i just, I want to say on behalf of me or anyone else, right, you are not broken. You're not. You are loved. You were created in the image of God. And then if you see people who are in or a part of this community, it is important to understand that they are not automatically broken. Like, can we just understand that? Um, because for the record, we're all broken. Okay, so just to be clear, it maybe it's just different than you, but we are all made in the image of God, and it is not that people who are within the LGBTQIA plus community, it's not that they need to be fixed first, um, and then they can start their relationship with God. You know, as as Lauren was saying earlier, I mean, as she was talking my mind is like racing to all these bible texts and stories but right one that so many people know right when the woman caught in the act of adultery and it's so interesting the progression of that right that if you want to put it into an equation the equation is Jesus asks her who condemns you and she looks around and she says no one in the and then Jesus says neither do I period right Jesus doesn't condemn first loves first then says neither do I condemn you now, you should stop screwing up, right? You're making some decisions, or yeah, you're making some bad decisions, you're making some bad choices. so you got some work to do, as we all do, but the first thing is, I don't condemn you. And I think just that, uh, you know, perhaps we should we should think about more.
1: Yeah, and I think that's such a perfect example of how like how Jesus talked with people in the Bible, and it's a perfect example of how we need to stop talking at LGBTQIA people and talk with them. Mm. I think one of the easiest ways to come to a better understanding of what their experience is, is to actually know someone who identifies in this community. If you don't, then your perception and your understanding is going to be skewed. I think the more that you understand from a personal level what how they go through life every single day, it total it changes everything. It mm-hmm. changes everything. Um, I know I went to public school and I did a lot of musical theater and I was a band geek and all in chorus. I had a lot of friends who identified as LGBTQIA+.
0: I totally didn't know you were a band geek. Sorry, I was a band I, geek. I, yep. I've, I'm a little tripped by that. Okay.
1: And I played the tuba. So <laughs> there's that. Um, okay, no but judgment. But, you know, it like they were my friends. And at that time, like they didn't identify as Christian. So there wasn't that wrestling, I think for, for me to understand, you know, like what their experience was. Um, But in college, one of my best friends came out to me and we've gone through a lot together. And it's been so helpful to have someone like her, who I am in, you know, a relationship with as a, as a friend who I can candidly talk to about life in general, but also she can understand what my experiences are as a biracial woman. I can understand what her experience is as, as a lesbian woman. Um, and we can ask questions of one another and we can get clarity and, and I just have a better understanding. And it's because of that relationship um, that I can learn more about her perspective. And I, and I see what her life experience is, right? I'm walking beside her through a lot and understanding and, and, you know, I, I may ask a question wrong, but it's the intention is there. And she understands, you know, where I'm coming from, that it's all out of love and some of my ignorance and all that sort of stuff. But we can call each other out on that, right? Because we have the relationship, Um But one of the things, and I mentioned this a little earlier, that's just really stood out to me over the years that she and I have been friends is just how privileged I am to walk through the world because of my gender identity and my sexual orientation. And because of the society, society that we live in, my gender identity and my sexual orientation does not prevent me from experiencing anything. And that's not the case um, for those who identify as LGBTQIA+. Um, I get to go through life with ease because society has been set up for my benefit in that. And, you know, it it breaks my heart that there is a, a minority group of people that do experience discrimination and hate crimes and all that sort of stuff because of how they identify. I mean, it wasn't until 2015 when the Supreme Court ruled Five to four that same-sex marriage was legal, and a lot of the the breakthrough of that was that these couples could actually experience um, and and receive like healthcare benefits and some of these like really basic human rights that those of us who identify as heterosexual just get to, and we don't have to question that, and it doesn't ever have to come into question. Um, so it, it just you know, these things just really remind me like 2015 was not that long ago. Like we, we can all remember when this historic thing happened. Um, and so I think we just need to, you know, keep in the back of our minds, like the way that this community experiences life is very different. And often it's, it's really bad. Um, and they just, yeah, haven't had those, those same basic human rights that, that a lot of us have. Um, And there was a recent study that came out um, from the Trevor Project. It's the 2020 National Survey on LGBTQ youth mental health. Um, And the Trevor Project is an LGBTQ youth crisis intervention and suicide prevention organization. And they reported that two in five LGBTQ youth, which are ages like 13 to 24, seriously considered suicide in the past year. And that's not a good statistic at all. Like two in five, two in five.
0: And honestly, as a youth pastor, in my experience, it would be more than that. It'd probably be more like four in five, four out of five.
1: Right. Like it just, this is not okay. And our, like, because of our society, our communities, like, we need LGBTQI plus people. Um, we need them here. and And we need their intelligence and their creativity and their personality and their hearts and their strength. Like, we cannot put all the weight on them to educate us who are not part of this community, part of their community, to fix everything. We need to do the work. We need to understand what their life experiences are and how badly they've been treated and we need to change our biases and all that sort of stuff like it's on us to do that work to create a better world for them.
2: Yeah definitely it wasn't until fairly recently um, that I had a conversation with a close friend who came out to me after years and years and years of friendship and I had no idea Um, and they asked me a question in that conversation that was honestly so scary they asked how do you feel about homosexuality as a Christian And I had no idea what to say, largely because it was in that moment that I realized I had rarely put more thought into it than what I'd always just kind of been taught or told Mm -hmm. because I never had to. Like, it was just a non-issue. I I thought what I thought, and, and that was the end of it. And it was also in that moment that I decided that even if I wasn't entirely sure how I felt or how to interpret the Bible verses in regards to homosexuality or how to comfort and support my friend or others from the LGBTQIA community that I will surely encounter in my life. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be committed to making a conscious effort to learn um, and to help create a safe space for their pursuit of life and their pursuit of Jesus, whatever that looks like. Because, you know, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I have my whole lifetime of theology and Bible understanding and whatever to revisit and unpack and maybe approach from a new lens and I don't expect that we'll all ever get to the same exact place and understanding about this. But as we try to understand, what I think is important is to view the LGBTQIA community as people, mm-hmm. you know, not as a hot topic or an issue, but as people who were created in God's image and to start there. Because learning how to love each other starts there, starts with seeing people as people.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, going to the scriptures as we end, uh, I find it interesting. First Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And what's interesting about the context of this is Samuel uh, is a priest, and he's going to anoint the next king, and he sees uh, the older brothers— And God and Samuel are, like, having this conversation, which I think is pretty amazing. And basically Samuel's like, okay, this is clearly the one. He's the oldest. He looks the best, blah, blah, blah. He's automatically assuming something based on appearance. And then God says this, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Um, And so I think, you know, oftentimes when we see people, or for some of us, when we see people who are in the LGBTQIA plus community, we automatically have assumptions. Well, their walk with God must be like, or their sex life must be like, or you know, whatever, right? We, we bring things into it. And then we assume that God must have a certain way of judging. But I just wanna remind all of us, God himself actually says, people judge outward appearance, but the mm-hmm. Lord looks at the heart. And if you know the rest of the story, God told Samuel to anoint David. If you know anything about the story of David, he was not the most wholesome, perfect man. Yes, he may have been a man after God's own heart, but he was also after a bunch of other things. <laughs> so it's more than just the outward thing. It's what's on the inside. And so what if in this new year we move forward, specifically as we're thinking about the LGBT, LGBTQIA community, what if we started to listen more, to lean in more, and get to know people at a deeper level? I wonder if that's actually what we are called to. Special thanks to our audio engineer, Alan Clark, who is the man, in case you didn't know. Music throughout this episode is by Common Man Music, also pretty awesome. A special thank you to Cindy Lauper, which for some of you, you will have no idea who that is. If you like what you've been hearing, tell your friends. If you'd like to connect with any of us, especially on this issue, please follow us on Instagram at We're The Outsiders Podcast. And we will see you next week.